This episode of Jesuitical is proudly sponsored by Catholic Women Preach, celebrating two years sharing the wisdom and witness of women breaking open the word. Visit catholicwomenpreach.org for video, text, and podcasts of weekly preaching on the Sunday Scriptures. And welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the transiently young, nomadically hip, and itinerantly lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Good to be with you, Ashley. Great to see you. Uh, we don't have Olga this week. She is on a well-deserved vacation. Yeah, in, Spain, in Barcelona. So, so wish, wish Olga well. Sad for us, great for her. Yes. <laughs> and we had a fun show this week that we want to bring. Yeah, to we had a live show at the Church of the Redeemer in Morristown, New Jersey, talking to the nuns on the bus. Yeah. So the nuns on the bus are on a tour that started in California and is going across the country and ending at. Uh, President Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort. Yeah, so we spoke with Sister Simone Campbell and Sister Rochelle Friedman, who are two of the nuns who are making this cross-country journey. Um, We talked to them about taxes. So we get into some of the details on that, but also like the bigger picture of how to talk about taxes in a way that gets people engaged, gets people to vote. Um, Yes, so the midterms are coming up, and so it's sort of geared towards that. It was a really great conversation, and we hope it energizes you to get engaged with the midterms. So enjoy the show. All right, here we go. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical Live from the Church of the Redeemer in Morristown, New Jersey. And tonight we are very excited to be talking to two of the nuns on the bus, Sister Simone Campbell and Sister Rochelle Friedman. Uh, Sister Simone is the Executive Director of Network Lobby for Catholic Social Justice, and Sister Rochelle is the Director for Public Policy for the Coalition on Human Needs. Welcome to Jesuitical, sisters. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay, so I have a couple questions to start just about life on the bus. Oh, yes. Is there an official policy towards hitchhikers? (laughs) We actually have picked up a reporter today that was sort of hitchhiking along. (laughs) And uh, in 2016, on our fifth bus trip, we picked up Mike on the bike, who was an NBC reporter guy who was riding along. And we did this whole shtick with him about how he was hitchhiking and with his bike, and he got on on the bus and had a whole conversation with us. But ordinarily, people are just stumped by who we are, and they don't ask for rides. Got it. That makes sense. <laughs> and, uh, wait, uh, I would like to know about what kind of snacks are available on the bus. Mm. Oh, my. <laughs> you should see the bus. I mean, everywhere we go, we get snacks. So there's brownies, <laughs> cookies, fruit. And then a couple of us know of one snack we're not telling the other sisters about, lest they <laughs> find it and like it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Community is all you can see. <laughs> now, are, and are there uh, assigned seats, or is it sort of like a scramble to get the window seat on the bus? Are, and are you guys elbowing each other out of the way? It's like first come, first serve, and if okay. you cruise, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> but the other piece is that you need to know is that it's bench seating running all along the windows, so you look out at a window mm-hmm. wherever you are. Ah, so, so window it, seats all over. Window seats all over. Okay, great. So now if we could get into, this is your sixth bus trip and yep. seven years, right? Yep. Okay, and... What t- tell me about the route that you're taking this time around. <laughs> well, this time we're taking a route that goes to critical areas that are impacted adversely by this tax 
legislation that was passed. And so we started the, the past last year, passed in December of 2017. And we are starting from Santa Monica, California by the shining sea. So it's sea to shining sea. We're ending up in Mar-a-Lago on November 2nd. And, and Mar-a-Lago is? Is the president's uh, winter retreat mansion. It's the icon of who benefits from tax policy. So what, I What love, do you mean by that? Let's be real. The top 1% that we talk about in our usual town hall gets a refund of $193,339 in this tax bill, while the lowest quintile gets about $60. But then, as you may know, uh, many members of Congress, particularly on the same side of the aisle that passed the tax cuts, are saying, okay, now we've got a huge deficit, so we have to pay for this tax cut. So what programs are they offering up? Well, they're offering up Medicaid and Medicare and Social Security. So one story that really touched me deeply was just yesterday, we were at a rally after we first went to a lobby visit and there was a young mom. Where is this? Um, this is in Pennsylvania. Beaver. Beaver, Pennsylvania. And the young mom uh, brought with her what we call little lobbyists. We see those in Capitol Hill f very frequently. And Erin was the mom, and her little daughter, Abby, nine years old, was autistic, and Abby couldn't hear, and she couldn't speak. And it was just heartwarming to hear her talk about, for example, how important Medicaid is. And then she said... The greatest wish my husband and I have is that we will not die before she does because we're worried about who will take care of her. So imagine being a parent of a nine-year-old child being worried about who will take care of her if we die before she does. Because one of the, I mean, the Republicans have talked about, and you're talking about this deficit that's there now. Um, they've Mitch McConnell, uh, Senator, has talked about cutting entitlement spending, right? And because we've got to pay for it. Okay, cuidado, senor. Be careful. All right. Okay, he said that we need to cut programs. Yes, but the programs then he listed that he called entitlements are not entitlements. Ah. Social Security, Medicare are all programs that we have paid into for decades of my working life. And I'm getting upset with politicians because they want to cut these programs because that's where some money is. They're trying to change how we think about them and they're calling them handouts. I'm sorry, I'm just collecting on the insurance policies that I've been paying for all of my work in life. So they're not entitlements. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I fell for it too. I know, I know. I know. But this is the problem. Because the, the twist of language, we don't know consequences and we get manipulated that way. And that's why it's up to us, we the people, to stay awake and be engaged. The, but, oh, I go was going to say, I, I, I get the feeling that people aren't as fired up about 
um, this tax bill as maybe you think they should be. Do you, are you? <laughs> <laughs> right. I think well, they're. Because it's, it's hard to think about taxes, you know, mm-hmm. like. Oh, let me, can I just tell you a couple things? Yeah. I wish we could do our town hall for everybody here. Because what we do is we act out the impact of the tax bill. And what happens is, is the top 1%, if you took one step for every $100 you're going to get, and the top 1% is getting $193,000 in their additional tax refund, they're going to take 1,933 steps. While the bottom 20% of people, at the, the working poor families in our community, make about $26,000 a year, they're going to get $60. So I shouldn't Six be happy with zero. my rate going from 15 to 12? No, you should not be happy because it is a pittance to the majority of us. And because we don't see the 1%, we don't know what they're getting. And that's the problem. We have to come together as community and see each each other and not fight each other about this, but understand the common good. Let me give you an example. We were in uh, Cleveland, Ohio at Lutheran Metropolitan Ministries. They're doing an amazing work at uh, rehabilitation of felons. And these women who are in, uh, who have felony sentences are in a minimum security prison, but they're learning culinary skills. It is an amazing two-year program that's federally funded, and it's being threatened because we can't afford anything anymore. And these women are learning culinary skills and leaving prison directly into jobs. Now, isn't that what we want our prison program to be? So it's not just about the money you're going to get back. It's about the responsible programs that are going on that are making our nation better as a whole. So we say reasonable revenue, reasonable tax revenue for responsible programs. Let's cut out this foolishness and come together and make this happen. Ashley, I would just like to add to that that particularly young people who might think, well, first of all, I don't know much about taxes and it doesn't matter and all this. There are a lot of programs that young people I know care a lot about. For example, a lot of young people have student loans. A lot of young people know families that are food insecure. There are families that probably show up um, across the way to get free meals and they're probably working family, sometimes two parents working, and they can't afford just the daily necessities. So I think that every one of us, wherever we are uh, in demographically and and age-wise, know families that are struggling. So we may not start out by talking about taxes, because I think what you were suggesting is that seems kind of esoteric to people. Yeah, people tend to tune out. Yeah, but if, if we can talk about programs and say, we believe that the federal government has a responsibility to take care of basic human needs that families are unable to do for themselves when they are hurting as a family. Can, can I just add to that, is that uh, we hear the argument that, you know, churches and charities ought to take care of these needs. I mean, that's what they're there for. Bread for the World, which is a colleague organization in D.C., figured out it would take every church, every synagogue, every mosque, every house of worship uh, would have to raise $950,000 every year for 10 years. Each. To, each. each would have to raise $950,000 for 10 years 
in order to make up what they're proposing to cut just from the food programs, just from food. And I don't know about the church where you go, but there's no we way. We can't even get the AC fixed. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. It's no way that that's possible. No. So the, the scale is really, and the fight is, is the role of government. I believe the role of government is to do for the community what the community can't do for itself. And obviously in this setting, hunger is such a big need. Housing is a big need. Infrastructure is a big need. Healthcare is a big need. We need government support for communal engagement. And that's what we're looking for, responsibility on both sides. So on that, you mentioned a lot of sort of big deals or big needs that are happening right now. It seems like there's such a short news cycle that you can oh. only stay outraged about something for, you know, 48 hours. And that's a, oh, that's a long, that's time. a long window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, I mean this, with this tax bill, I mean, people are, are largely trying to move past it. You know, it's not the Republicans have stopped, you know, campaigning on it even. I know. Um, there's a study by Wesleyan University that said they're, they're talking about that less and less, even though that's their major Big legislative. Thing. Right. Um, so how do, why did you pick taxes when, you know, there's obviously immigration is a big deal right now, as you mentioned, housing, wages, why taxes? Well, uh, we pick taxes partially because I'm a sore loser, but uh, the, <laughs> the, the fact is that the Republicans were claiming they were going to run on this, and I wanted to run at them because it's the worst possible thing for our nation. So we just decided to be candid and direct. So we're going to peop, uh, lo- lobby. We're not a big campaign. This is not about candidates. We're going to lobby people who voted for the tax bill and against health care and asking them the reason. Why did you vote to hurt your people? That's why we're mm-hmm. on the road. I want an answer mm-hmm. to this question. I've yet to get one. Could I also just add that we were sold a bill of goods. Amen. When we heard the Republicans, frankly, say, hey, we're going to do a tax cut, and it's going to benefit you, the middle class. And really, when we see how the tax cut is dispersed, overwhelmingly, it supports and favors corporations. We just got the result of how much revenue we are behind this year, what our deficit is. One-fifth of our deficit in 2018 is because of the federal corporate revenue we lost. So, and the jobs claim, you know, we're going to create lots of jobs. Well, there's a lot of money coming back, and it's recycled into the CEOs and recycled into stock buybacks. So I think we also want to call out the hypocrisy of how we got here in the first place. Uh, the unemployment rate is low. The economy is growing. So what do you say to people who are saying, no, it, it worked. The economy is humming along. What, what are they missing? They're missing the fact that this was the trajectory that's been going since the big recession. And we have been growing, but where it's not growing, where it's most important to grow, is increasing wages for the, the bottom 60% of the workers in our nation. And this is where growth is not happening. And this is where the bill of goods go. They said, oh, you know, we'll just encourage the, if, if the CEOs have more money in their corporations, I'm sure they're going to pay their workers more, right? Well, we've only got 4% of the corporations in the nation, 4% have done anything for their workers, and the majority of those were one-time bonuses. They have not raised wages. And now economists are beginning to scratch their heads and say, oh, I don't understand why wages aren't going up. 
the policies have undermined union organizing. The policies have undermined and given no incentives for increasing the, the salaries of the, the workers for the most part. And they have undermined any effort at controlling CEO salaries. And absent any controls, well, I'm sorry, but you know, we're, okay, it's a, this is Jesuitical, so I can talk religion. You know, we have such a thing as original sin. <laughs> and so the temptation to get as much as I can for myself. Uh, one of my favorite um, uh, columnists in the Washington Post, E.J. Dion, says the reason we have government regulation is because of original sin. We're better if we do it together, but if nobody's watching, I'll take an edge, including me, I'll take an edge. So you mentioned this is Jesuitical, so we can talk religion, not just politics of where they intersect. Um, what do you think your being sisters does in terms of, you know, giving you an edge and lobbying <laughs> lawmakers or, or inspiring hope in, in voters? How, how does that play out? How are your favorability ratings? <laughs> <laughs> do you have an edge because you have God behind, behind you? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I would use the term edge, but I will say this because I actually do advocate on Capitol Hill for many of the programs that we're talking about tonight that are so critical to families. And I remember not that terribly long ago being at a visit in an office with a chief of staff and pretty soon he looked at me and he said, you know what, you have credibility because I know you're not doing this for a self-serving way, reason. And I think that that's true of us being on the road and being able to speak out of our own integrity and, and people know that many of us are working with the communities that are most vulnerable and are harmed by the tax cuts. We're not doing this because we're going to end up being richer or whatever. So I think to some degree it does give us credibility. I also think it makes people laugh. I think that, you know, nuns on the bus, what a silly thing. I mean, really. <laughs> but the piece that's so important is about bringing the community that we share among us on the bus to people around the country, which is a magnet. And we ask people if they commit to our program to work for reasonable revenue for responsible programs to sign the bus. And hopefully you'll get up on the website some photos of the bus. It's practically covered. and We have another 14 days to go. But it's covered with signatures of people who want to belong, who want to be alive. And I think part of it's because we're sisters, but another part of it is because it brings joy. Yeah. So a lot of people think of religious life as this cloistered thing, and <laughs> you, right. you could not be any further from that. Uh, so what's what's your sort of ministry as this itinerant, at least you know for the period that you're on the bus, uh, what's the unique as aspect to religious life being on the road? Well, I, I think part of it is that we're all about carrying the gospel. And like uh, St. Francis said, occasionally use words. We're just bringing the truth of our commitment to live as the body of Christ to people around. And that turns out to be attractive. I don't know. It's mystery to me. I just find it the most amazing thing I think I've done in my religious life is to be present, caring, welcoming, and embracing mm -hmm. of so many. Mm -hmm. Rochelle, what do you think? Actually, each of us, as we started this trip, have these little bracelets, and we each have a little bead on the bracelet. And the bead which we committed to when we uh, got on the bus, many of us on Sunday, represents hope. 
So I think for us, the theme is hope. We're, tr we're about trying to bring hope to people. So that, as you mentioned, uh, Zach, some people might be discouraged or, or whatever, and, and it's our desire that when people come to our events, they see the demonstrations that we provide in terms of who benefits and who loses, and, and we, we try to give them hope and in turn inspire them to give others hope so that they will go out and make a difference because it does matter. And why should we why should we have hope? It seems like a silly question, but hope isn't easy all the time. Hope can be a major challenge, but I think we must have hope. We're a great nation. We are a tremendous nation. We're a very wealthy nation, and I think we need to do what we do out of abundance. We can afford for everyone in this country to have health care because it's a right. Amen. And should any, should any child in this rich country of ours go to bed hungry? No. And I believe that collectively we can make a statement, all of us, and bring about hope rekindle hope, which, as you suggest, for some people, there's not a lot of it. And I just want to say that um, people who aren't in the same place we are, what they're trying to do is create an atmosphere of fear. Amen. Be afraid of immigrants. Be afraid of people who are different. Be afraid of people whose skin color is different than yours. And then what happens when we get fearful? We recoil and we don't go out and exercise our power. And hope is a communal virtue. We can only have hope if we're in relationship with others. And that's why reclaiming the truth of our Constitution, that it's not I the individual, it's not I the rich person, it's not even I the citizen, it's we the people, all of the people working together. Yeah. You, you've mentioned community a few times. And uh, yeah, it's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think at this time in our country, there isn't, there isn't much, we, we hear about tribalism and polarization. We don't hear about community as we hear about nationalism in a in a kind of scary sense but we don't I don't I don't get the sense that people in this country feel like they belong to each other um am I wrong do you oh, see no, that on the road or oh, absolutely we see that on the road and the way we see it is um people coming up in tears because they feel like they're they're so vulnerable they're so at risk for being able to survive I'm trying to remember where we were I can see the woman but I can't remember where we were she came up just in tears because her job hours had been cut and she didn't know how she was going to make it what was going to happen to her family and she had no one else to tell. She was afraid to tell people this. And if you're afraid to share your vulnerability, we're in trouble. We're in trouble as a nation and we're in trouble because we don't have community. Uh, there's a great quote on the back of the bus. I, don't, I can't recall it from, from memory, but maybe Pope you Francis. can. Pope Francis. It's a Pope Francis quote um, in that you know, good Catholics should be involved in politics, no, right? Or good, good Catholics should meddle should in meddle. They meddle in politics. Yes. So what would you say to people who don't think that, you know, it's, you know, religion should stay out of politics? Yeah, it's all well and good for you to feed the hungry and visit the sick, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't do politics. Charity is nice. Justice shouldn't be done. Uh, the fact 
is just read Pope Francis, read Catholic social teaching, read any of this, of our treasured doctrines. And what we know is all all people of faith are called to work, not just to alleviate the symptoms, but to change the, the very structures that create the problems. And we're just working at the structures, which is why our organization was founded 40 some years ago in 1971, to work to change the structures of our society so that all, all may be able to eat and live in dignity. What, what do you say when people ask what? you why you're in politics? What I say to that is it might, the back of the bus might refer to Pope Francis and Catholics, but we just had this wonderful conversation on the bus this afternoon. We know that right now we're in an Episcopal church, and I was told that this Episcopal church was found by abolitionists. This church has had a history of justice since its founding. Amen. So as a Catholic sister... As a Catholic sister, I want to say I feel very, very much aligned with people of faith everywhere. It doesn't matter what your religion is Amen. because we're all one. We've got to break down the barriers between various religions. It, you know, I had a friend who passed away this summer and she said, you know, there's only a few things in life that matter. And when I think about a few things in life that matter, I think it's Healing the divisions, as Simone would say, we are all one. Yeah. Amen. All right. We have one final question that we ask all of our guests on Jesuitical. Uh, if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or? Non-fictional. 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 Who would it be and why? Who? Does there, is there music while we think? <laughs> no, Zach always gets mad at me because I try to jump in and give an easy answer for them. I'd canonize Margaret. Margaret died in 2012. You have to be dead to be canonized. So, uh, Margaret died in 2012 because she lost her job in the recession. When she lost her job, she lost her health care, and the Affordable Care Act had not been fully implemented. Margaret fuels my passion for Medicaid expansion in every state, and Margaret died unnecessarily. She was sacrificed. She was a martyr, in my view, to our poor health care policy in the United States. No more Margaret should die. Margaret's a saint in my book. Amen. Canonization, it seems to me, is a Catholic thing. So I'm not really into canonizing people. I'm into saying that every single life matters. Everybody is important. Everybody is significant. So I think of, for example, the people who die homeless Amen. and they have no one claiming their body because no one knows who they are, but they probably struggled mightily in their life. So I'm here for saying uh, everybody needs respect. And that's kind of what canonization in our church is, I guess, is saying, wow, here's this wonderful person who led this terrific life that should be respected. So I'm for either everybody being canonized or nobody being canonized. <laughs> Thank you both so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you for getting on the road. Uh, keep it up. Stay energized. Stay hopeful. <laughs> and follow us November 2nd when we get to Mar-a-Lago and have our fiesta for the common okay. good. Okay. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.
That was fun. Thank you. All right, now it's time for some housekeeping. This episode of Jesuitical is proudly sponsored by Catholic Women Preach, celebrating two years of sharing the wisdom and witness of women breaking open the word. Visit catholicwomenpreach.org for video, text, and podcasts of weekly preaching on the Sunday scriptures. And we have a couple of announcements that we wanted to share with you this week. Very exciting news. America is launching uh, two new products that uh, people around here have been working really hard on. So if you're a Jesuitical supporter, you're definitely going to want to check these out. First, last week we launched Faith in Focus, a Catholic daytime talk show with the Father James Martin. Yes. So it's uh, hosted on our website, on YouTube, um, and there are previews going on uh, Jim's IG TV story. But the first guests that he interviews are actually the Gaffigans, Jim and Guinea Gaffigan, who are hilarious. And they have a really insightful interview with Jim about uh, holding faith while Jeannie was getting a brain tumor removed, while raising five kids and trying to practice your faith through all of that. It's really, really special. So, and there's also Jim breaks down Catholic news. There's an opportunity for, you know, everyday folk like us to just (laughs) submit uh, some content for the show. And you can find all of that at americamag.org slash faith show. And we are also launching another podcast this week called Inside the Vatican. Uh, It's one of our colleagues, Colleen Dully, speaking with our Rome correspondent about the Vatican news of the week. Yeah, so you've heard Colleen's name before, I'm sure. She's helped a lot with engineering and getting the Patreon videos ready together. And she's got her own podcast now. Yeah, she's awesome. And if you love the signs of the times when we talk about Pope Francis news or what's going on at the Vatican, uh, this is a great resource. Yeah, and they're going to be able to get into it in a much deeper way than we can from our little uh, tiny office. Gerard o- O'Connell, our Vatican correspondent, is actually an ec- expert in these things. Yeah, and has been covering... talks to cardinals and the Pope. So yeah, he's been covering it since before we were born and before Colleen was born. Yeah, so... so definitely check that out. You can find it in your podcast app. Just search for Inside the Vatican. Uh, that's all the news for this week. Um, we don't have we don't have consolations and desolations for you this week. We're we're still praying. We're still getting those. But we hope you enjoyed the live show. And don't forget to check out those two shows. All right. Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Adverbs provided by me. Jesuit Formation provided by Eric Sandrup SJ. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. And you can send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis, and we will see you next week.